0: So a great description of the, of the kick, which is that this kick looked like a pass thrown by Nathan Peterman. <laughs> 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 so, hello, Martin Goal, Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news views and reactions to all things NFL. I'm um, once again filling in for Connor. He's uh, still in exam mode, but, uh, you know, what? I think we did all right last week. So, we'll, we'll, we'll stumble on blindly, go to overtime, and win on a shanky field goal. What else can you do?
1: Fran's life, man.
0: So, hi guys, yeah, it's me, Harry, and with me we have Ronan. Hello. How you doing, man? Uh, been a good weekend?
1: Uh, yeah, it's fine. Pretty quiet, nothing too exciting, but uh, yeah, some interesting football going on there, on there and Man um, United actually managed to win a game, so yeah, generally, no, not the worst weekend.
0: Yeah, a bit bidding Newcastle doesn't really count, <laughs> if we're honest with ourselves here, like, that was pretty bad. Um, in other non-Sporting, uh, non-NFL sporting news, uh, Conor McGregor lost, that was hilarious, yeah, so hopefully we'll never have to hear about him again. Also, his whiskey is apparently shite. Um, well, speaking of MMA, I received a book that a guy I know Lee Daly has written. It's called uh, uh, Before a Fall. It's a story of uh, pride fighting championships, which, is some of you may know, is an MMA organization in uh, Japan. It's been kickstarted, And uh, yeah, I started reading. It looks really, really interesting. So if any of you out there are, um, are MMA fans, I would recommend uh, giving that a look. It's called Before a Fall. Right, that's a product plug. I'm not getting any money for that, but I'm hoping that you know that's practice for future where people will actually pay us to uh, shout out their products on the podcast.
1: Squarespace, it's great.
0: <laughs> that's it. We'll start. <laughs> we'll start just mentioning people and then just invoicing them afterwards. I mean, <laughs> so I guess we'll go into the news. As you can probably tell from that intro, we don't really have any news. So let's talk about the only thing we really care about, Josh Gordon. We have a spectacular Josh Gordon update. Uh, another two catches, but this time for fifty yards and a touchdown. Tom Brady's 500th, making him, I think, the third quarterback to pass for 500 touchdowns in the NFL during the regular season, joining Manning and Favre, although Drew Brees is now only one touchdown away, as we'll talk about later. Gordon's presence once again appeared to magically improve the standard of the players around him, seeing James White and, again, somehow, for some reason, Cordero Patterson find the end zone. And by the end of the game, uh, eight of the Colts' starters were down injured, hoping to avoid the wrath of the Flash. Ronan, this is the side of things to come.
1: Yeah, I think uh, last week the Miami defense went into a frozen state where they just allowed the New England offense to basically throw past them, whereas the Colts took a more extreme version of this and decided to just pretend that they were injured and basically fob off for the rest of the game. Uh, several players were already out before the game even started, so some getting in early, but obviously the ones who chose to come out for the game quickly raised their air and decided to get off before the end. And, of course, that gifted the uh, New England Patriots another... Embarrassing defeat over uh, one of their so-called rivals.
0: Yeah, that that hasn't been a rivalry for a while. If we're honest, I think the Colts still think it's a rivalry. But uh, yeah, I think
1: they, in, in the off-season they uh, they tried to make it a rivalry again. Grigsby was talking about being rival rivalry again. But
0: I think the Patriots'
1: Twitter account had some uh, some stuff to say about that.
0: Yeah, fair. So let's speaking of injuries. Here's some like real injuries. We had a couple of a couple of season enders, uh, which are quite bad. Last week, uh, Jay Ajayi. Uh, Blue is ACL, um, went down for the season, so he's out for Philly. They're now relying on Corey Clement, who's also injured, Uh, Darren Sproles, who's also injured, and Wendell Smallwood, who is Wendell Smallwood. So that's going to be interesting to see how they manage that going forward. Uh, For Dallas, uh, Travis Frederick, it's not really an injury, but he has a Guillain-Barre syndrome, um, so he's out for the year and we just have to, I think, hope the best for him in terms of the prognosis and dealing with that, because that could potentially... Uh, seriously affects the ability to play going forward. Terrence Williams uh, also has a foot injury. He's uh, IR, could come back later in the season. Probably not likely. Also, he's Terrence Williams, so uh, I don't think that's having a huge impact on a pretty dire anyway. Dallas offense. Uh, Marquette King, the punter in Denver, uh, has an injury. Apparently, he's been carrying it for a few weeks, which has explained why his performance has gone down since week one. Uh, he is expected to release. In fact, I think he may already have been released. Uh, yeah, I think. confirmed comments on Twitter? At
1: this point.
0: Yeah, so that's um, it's it's a punter. These things happen. Um, you're not. It's unlikely that they would IR him and, and not release him just from the nature of the position and the amount of money uh, tied up in that. Jacksonville's uh, third-string running back, Corey Grant, has a list frank injury. Obviously, this takes on uh, additional meaning with the continued absence of Leonard Fournette into to hamstring problems. we would expect to miss a few more weeks. And uh, Austin Safarian Jenkins has a core injury. Uh, he may be back before the end of the season. And in Indianapolis, offensive lineman Matt Slauson has gone to IR, and I don't think they've let us know what that is yet, but I'm sure we'll find out in the near future. Uh, Ronan, which one of these do you think is probably the most significant moving forward?
1: Yeah, I think the JGI injury has to be considered most uh, significant. Obviously, the Eagles are kind of underperforming. And to be honest, their only saving grace right now is that they're in the NFC East, which is a complete mess. And while JGI had been dealing with injuries in the early part of the season and certainly hadn't been playing at his best, including a kind of unfortunate fumble against Minnesota this week, um, he still, we know when he's on his game, an imposing physical runner who also has enough shiftiness to kind of you know play between the tackles. Corey Clement did good, did well in the second half of last season and kind of spot duty, uh, but obviously he's dealing with injury himself. So Wendell Smallwood is a solid running back uh, and with that offensive line, if it's healthy, he should be okay, but I think just having that playmaking ability uh, from the running back spot just took a little bit of uh, extra pressure off Carson Wentz, who's obviously just coming back from injury. I think that's a it's a it's a it's a bit of a blow for a team looking to kind of have as, needs as many things to go right right now. Get them back into the like into the hunt for the you know top NFC team. I think also just worth mentioning, you know, Market King. He's a fun punter, so it's sad that the fun punters uh, are slowly being you know brought out of uh, society and taken away. Uh, maybe this is just coincidence, of course.
0: A um, couple of other smaller ones: uh, Kansas City uh, guard uh, Lauren du- Duvernay-Tardif, the doctor. Uh, Physician Heal Thyself has a fractured fibula uh, He's gone to IR but Almost definitely back before the end of the season uh, Justin Houston has a hamstring injury He'll be out for a few weeks As we know with hamstring injuries That can mean anything between a week and the rest of the season Depending on how the healing process goes In San Francisco, Matt Breida has an ankle sprain He'll be out for at least a week um, So things continuing to go downhill in the Bay Area Speaking of things going downhill in the Bay Area Donald Penn, the offensive tackle of the Oakland Raiders Has a groin He's gone to IR but will probably come back and uh, Travis Benjamin of the Chargers, who was, I think, very much at this point the fourth or fifth wide receiver on that team, uh, has a foot injury. He'll be out for two to three weeks. That shouldn't have a huge amount of impact there.
1: Only um, Matt Breida, two weeks in a row, has looked like his season's been over because it looked like he was getting carted off the field. Uh, and yet, is, it was only a sprain. He's expected to be back. So uh, apparently, you can't trust Matt Breida getting injured being a serious thing. Which, of course, I say it now. Of course, next week, well, when he plays the next game, he'll probably get killed.
0: Well, let's hope not.
1: <laughs> I think everyone in San Francisco was pretty giving a sigh of relief there because, see, Breed has been a revelation there in the early goings for San Francisco.
0: Yeah, and uh, Raheem Mostert looked absolutely terrible when he came on in spot work uh, last week. So we'll see how that goes. The controversy corner. Every week, roughing the passer calls. Um, we still continue to see questionable calls, soft calls, weird calls, whatever you want to see them. Mike Tomlin had something to say about it this week. Uh, basically called them joke penalties after a call um, against, I think, T.J. Watt, who, by the way, is I think actually the sack leader in the league and is having a very, very, very good year. I don't know what more is to say about this. Do you think the Tomlin intervention will have any impact or is this just going to be, look, we know what it is and this isn't going to make much of a change?
1: Well, I think we're seeing a change in real time regardless. I think the body weight rule wasn't really the issue this week. It just seemed to be a lot of really soft traditional, inverted comments, roughing the passer penalties. Obviously, the T.J. Watt call. There was a call on Kawan Williams from Arizona when he basically jumped in front of uh, C.J. Beathard and just fell into him. Not really much he could do. That was called. And Michael Bennett was kind of pushed into the lower leg region of uh, Kirk Cousins and also picked up a really important uh, roughing the passer penalty to kind of help Minnesota secure the win. Um, and that's also leading to some defenders kind of pulling out of sacks it was kind of a, a really kind of interesting one in the Tennessee-Buffalo uh, game, which we'll talk about. Probably the only notable thing that happened that game. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle Williams basically had Mariota for a sack, but kind of just pushed him softly, and Mariota kind of spun out of it and then made a play after that point. Um, so I think, you know, Mike Tomlin, you can expect a fine in the post probably. Uh, but I think it is important to note Mike Tomlin. He is on the competition committee. Mike Tomlin is generally someone considered to be you know, a company man in the sense of you know defending the NFL usually. I think the fact that he's come out so strongly against it gives you an idea that, you know, we'll continue to see maybe, you know, the referees been instructed to be not quite as sensitive and that there's probably, you know, definitely gonna be some clarifications coming in the off season, uh, if not before that. Probably in the off season.
0: Yeah, he could start by telling his own quarterback to stop flopping. That might be a one place to, to begin <laughs> <Yeah>. with it. <laughs> Um,
1: critical.
0: <laughs> we, we also had um, a bit of a John Gruden update uh, this week as well basically complaining about his own drafting and whinging that he hadn't that he missed on Derwin James I I what what like what's he doing like it's one thing to be you know we know his opinions about Reggie McKenzie and difficulties in Oakland and his tendency to thro- throw other person under the bus this just seems pointless is there a strategy here or is Gruden just being an old man griping the
1: uh, Carl Joseph uh, their first round pick I think last year uh, he's now basically been benched uh, Obi Malafonwu a second round pick uh, also has been released I think the story he's trying to give he was basically convinced by Reggie McKenzie not to pick up Deron James because hey you've got these high high round safety's already in the building um, and why don't you just use those you know fair enough it's easy to go back in the draft and say well I had this guy and this guy but you know, I think you know John Gruden, his kind of dick wagging around it continues in that building. He obviously wants a level of control that he perhaps has not achieved yet, and that is just another power move on his part to do that. And it's just a sign of a really dysfunctional organization right now. Like you, you're the one choosing to start Rich Nelson. You're the one who can deal with that shit.
0: Yeah, I mean the, the benching Joseph is one thing, but being benched for Reggie Nelson, I'm, I'm just—I don't know what is going on. At practice, like presumably he's just lying down and I don't know, kicking, attending children or something, because Nelson has been like, absolutely rubbish this year. Uh, but I agree. Yeah, there's a lot of lot of dysfunction surrounding the Raiders at the moment, and we're seeing that both on and off the field, um, and we're seeing that in the the general stuff, we're seeing that in the play calling, we're seeing that in the performance. like Poor old Marshall Lynch got screwed over again, but sure, he seems to be used to, used to that by now. Crime and punishment. So the Michael Kendricks thing we mentioned earlier in the year, the insider trading. This is the weirdest, the weirdest disciplinary issues I've ever seen for an NFL player. That's pending prosecution. Basically, he's now trying to make a case that the NFL don't actually have the right to suspend him under the CBA. For there's certainly something plausible about the idea that uh, the CBA probably doesn't cover players uh, for insider trading. But on the other hand, we know now from experience that the sort of tarnishing the name of the league or whatever the technical name for it is, is now so broad and so vast that they can, the league can pretty much do whatever it wants after the Tom Brady case. So I don't think he's going to get his indefinite suspension waived. This is just, I think, another subdrama in what is going to be an actual legal case going out through the courts rather than just another sports arbitration thing. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, Antonio Brown has been charged now. Uh, apparently... Threw some furniture out of his apartment which is on the 14th floor of an apartment block and nearly hit somebody who was out walking with their kid this is very strange and um, he chucked some vases and, and a sofa or something like that which i'm pretty really impressed if he'd get a whole sofa out the window by himself i mean that's like sofas are big and i know he's a professional athlete but like those are those are bulky objects so i'm not quite sure how he managed that i'm also not quite sure how after the first thing hit the ground the uh, people affected didn't just flee the vicinity because obviously. There was furniture raining from an apartment above them, but that, that's also strange. This is going to go to court. I don't know what the impact's going to be. It's probably not going to affect him in terms of league discipline. And uh, I think the kind of damages, because nobody was actually injured, will be financial rather than anything else. Probably not a good sign for his own general state if he's just there, like, just chucking the contents of his apartment out of the window. So hopefully he's alright. Hopefully the people who were nearly hit by them are alright. That sounds just, That's just a, just a really, really weird one. In terms of trades, extensions, signings, cuts, all that kind of stuff, uh, just a couple of big ones here. Eric Flowers, the offensive tackle for the New York Giants, has been cut. Finally, uh, he was rubbish and apparently was not well liked in the locker room. And this just sort of is, I think, the final chapter of a sad saga in a very, very disappointing player. Uh, and uh, the Rams signed kicker Cairo Santos to cover for Zerline while he's injured. And he had a pretty good game uh, in the Rams uh, game against the Seahawks. Santos was, you know, he was pretty good when he was kicking for the Chiefs, so it makes sense, well, I suppose. More. <laughs> no, well, the more I said about that the better, and uh, that was that was an interesting. Uh, I saw a great description of of the kick, which is that his kick looked like a pass thrown by Nathan Peterman. <laughs> <laughs> just devastating. Okay, cool. A couple of other little bits and bobs just to round out the news section. Drew Brees obviously broke the uh, all time regular season passing yards record during the victory over Washington Uh, the particular play in question was a deep touchdown to Traquan Smith where Josh Norman just decided that he didn't want to cover the route which was weird but um, congratulations to Breeze the game was stopped for an incredibly tacky and unnecessary ceremony um, I don't know why they didn't just leave it until after the game. They came on and gave him a little laminated certificate. Oh, but, like
1: they the laminated certificate. Like it was
0: like like an attendance award for like your junior infants class. Like, what was that about? And they mic'd him up when he was talking to the award. <laughs> <laughs> Give him a gold star, like they they mic'd him up as well and he was, they played the audio of him talking to his kids. It was just it was so tacky and weird and awkward, and I don't know why they didn't just have a post-game ceremony to do it. Like interrupting the game for that was just it's an incredible achievement from breeze who is a fantastic player but the whole thing felt so awkward and stage managed and just so unnecessary like it's a record and that's cool but there's a game going on and it's great that you get the recognition but it's actually honestly disrespectful to everyone else in the building to pause all of this for that kind of nonsense like genuinely it i i I just don't understand it and it's like the sport taking itself 10 taking a backseat to the glorification of one of its players. And we see constantly how the league doesn't like that when it comes to certain types of players, but when it comes to this kind of thing, I'm still the same thing with Peyton Manning when he broke the record and broke the touchdown record. And it's just it just bothers me, you know?
1: Yeah. And Peyton Manning put out a hilarious video. Oh my god, I
0: saw that. He's shopping where
1: he's making salad for his family. Fuck off Peyton Manning. Go fuck yourself.
0: Also that uh, salad was just tomatoes. Like that is a miserable fucking salad. Yeah,
1: well, for- <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was it was very awkward and forced, uh, much like his nationwide commercials. The Cleveland Browns have now got all possible outcomes of a game. Uh, they've won, they've lost, they've tied, they've won in overtime, and they've lost in overtime. Ronan, I, how, how does this happen?
1: That's some kind of football outcomes infinity gauntlet <laughs> will destroy half the league.
0: <laughs> oh my god. That's about as good a theory as I can think of any. Browns continue to be weird and entertaining. But.
1: Shout out to him getting that win in overtime, which is probably the best result, um, because he looked completely surprised that he actually won the game. Uh, I believe calling for two
0: or something like that. Yeah, yeah he, he was either suggesting to go for two or he was saying there were still two seconds left. Yeah. So Hugh Jackson doesn't know how overtime works. which this is, the, this is the third overtime for the Cleveland Browns as well, which is I think that seems like a lot. Can't have too much brands. Mm, I, look, they're a very entertaining team. Although well, that game wasn't. Um, all starting rookie QBs won this week as well. That's Rosen, Allen, Darnold, Mayfield. Uh, Baltimore lost because they didn't start Lamar Jackson. Obviously, if they had, it would have been a perfect 6-6 six, six for the rookies. we got some nice fat man TDs as well. Uh, Chris Jones and Limwell Joseph. And a big man TD from Michael Johnson, but he's not fat, so it wasn't quite the same. Apparently, Limbaugh Joseph was clocked at 18 miles an hour. I love this next-gen stat shit. 18 <laughs> miles an hour going into the end zone, which is... That's that's quite fast for a man of his size now.
1: Immediately placed into the, the oxygen tank. Which I believe he thinks gives him sexual powers.
0: Ah, it makes so much sense as anything to me. I like he put on the sunglasses as well. So it was a good way to celebrate better than Chris Jones, who later got ejected for uh, punching a lineman. Well, I think Chris
1: Jones is uh, similar to a few weeks ago uh, uh, when Kim Hicks is like, "Oh, we won this game. I'm just going to go home early."
0: Yeah, <laughs> I can't think of any better reason because there there was no reason to do that whatsoever. Alright, so that is the that is the news. Uh, we'll move on to the game reviews. Okay, so first up in the Ring of Honor, a game that we expected to be a blowout and really, really wasn't. Um, the LA Rams at the Seattle Seahawks. 33-31, this was an incredibly fun game to watch. Supposedly, so good Rams defense just decided not to show up for the entire game. Seattle have figured out how to run the ball... Um, which made for a much more interesting contest than it might have been otherwise. You could say part of that was the absence of Tlaib, and like Marcus Peters was clearly not healthy during that game. But you can only beat Watson in front of you, and Seattle hung around and had a chance to win it. And if not for a really ill-timed timeout by Pete Carroll, May have found themselves in a position to do so, obviously allowed the Rams to go off the field when they were about to punt, ran a QB sneak, and won the game at the end. There's a lot to talk about here. Let's focus on the first part of that, on that Rams defense. Like They did not look good, and I know there were injuries, but this is the way Phillips coach defense. You have so much talent on that D line. Is this a concern that this team? Nobody's denying this is going to be a playoff team coming out of the division. But is this a sign of this team when they get into the playoffs and face like another elite team. That defense just isn't going to be able to keep pace.
1: Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's like it's a it's a it's a defense probably still good, excepting you know, if the injuries run down against most of the teams in the NFL. Because most like the NFLs were we talked about for like you know, years now, and especially this season. It's such a pass-happy league that, you know, being a bit soft of the middle isn't really that much of an issue, because most teams can't take advantage of it. But, of course, up front you have Michael Brockers, you have Aaron Donald, you have Sue. So you've got three of the best defensive tackles in the league. You expect them to be able to, you know, be good against the run, if not elite. Uh, and yet, in this game, they completely got gashed. Now, I think... The reason that Seattle was able to stay in it like, was the run game was really effective, but also that the like, the play action was working, and I think that definitely goes down to the injuries. I think like Seattle wouldn't have got quite as many points without that uh, play action of Tyler Lockett and David Moore getting a lot of, a lot of, a lot of space on, on the outside. The that comes the line markets are okay, but I think Marcus Peters isn't healthy. I don't know why they're playing him. They need to just let him rest and get healthy because this is a team that's going to win most of its games regardless and, of course, to keep delivery back later on in the season. But at the moment they just look kind of soft in terms of how they can deal with the run game, we'll see if the better teams uh, in the league with better defences and better offences are willing to just try this hypothesis to the extent that Seattle did and just run it down the gut until they can stop it. The Rams right now look so powerful on offence and have looked pretty good on defence that they have such a glaring weakness against a team like you don't expect to be really in the late playoff hunt. Uh, it's kind of a bit of a worry for, for a team that really has so few worries
0: yeah, and it'll be interesting to see this week. I think in the Denver game, given that Denver have done nothing well this season except run the ball, so I think it'll be instructive to see whether or not Lindsay and Booker can get any room, and whether or not you know the Rams can adjust. So yeah, it's something else you mentioned about like this. Obviously, the play action was was a huge factor uh, for Seattle's success in setting up the run game. As a Hawks fan, like this this O line has been garbage for a while now and looked really really bad in the first few games of the season. This is the second week in a row we've seen them. Be you know have relative success in in the run blocking game at least. Um, is there signs of a turnaround here, or is this just if just purely a function of the play action?
1: I know it's going to surprise you, but the return of DJ Fluker has actually made a huge difference to their run game. I think the general consensus of DJ Fluker now is that he's absolute shit in pass protection, like he's way too slow to actually stop any kind of swim move or any kind of uh, proficient finesse passer. But in run blocking. He is, uh, as they would say, a mauler. He's a beast. You know, he basically, he's really fat and he can move forward and therefore can make holes for running backs. Uh, And, you know, for Seattle, which has moved away from kind of the zone offense to more power uh, concepts, Uh, him being able to be just a big guy helps a lot. And, like, J.R. Sweezy came back and he's also someone bad in pass, good in run, and now that he seems have a bit more healthy, seems to be re-showing that. So, really, it's a really interesting contrast. Seattle have basically turned back the clock and turned into, like, a team from the 1970s or 1980s. <laughs> you know, ball again and again and again, and then, you know, play action with the quarterback. Like, Russell wasn't only threw the ball 13 times. Or, like, what we would generally consider one of the best quarterbacks in the league. That's a really, really unusual thing to happen, particularly this year. Whereas in France, you obviously have what's considered the next generation of offense. It's all about uh, misdirection. It's all about passing. And the run game is really just a compliment where, you know, the pass is so effective, Todd Gurley can just get infinite yards and infinite touchdowns. It's really interesting to see Seattle try that. I don't know if it's enough to kind of push them through to being a, a genuine playoff contender. Uh, but I suppose it's nice to at least to see some consistent offense in Seattle, which we haven't really seen at all since Marshall Lynch days. The only problem for them is that back then they had a, a defense that was becoming elite, and now that's no longer true. Uh, so you can't can, can a clock control team with a mediocre defense work in today's NFL? The answer is probably not.
0: Yeah, true. I mean, it's it's a huge part of trying to control the clock is having a defense adequate enough to do it. And you know, the defense It didn't look great even after we saw um, the top two targets on that uh, Rams team lead the game with concussions. Uh, it's still. Seattle still struggle to, to contain them. Yeah, I think it's more interesting anyway. I think this will change kind of the the look of the Seahawks. And if what you said, if, they, if this is something that can work against the Rams to an extent, you know, I don't think it's necessarily going to let lead them to beat elite teams. But this might lead them to winning a few more games, maybe than we expected against uh, other teams who are in vulnerable positions or just aren't that good. So I think that's something to look out for and see if yeah, see if they can maintain this this style of play. Um, moving on to the neutral zone, um, this game also ended a uh, thirty-one to thirty-three. Uh, this was the Giants at Carolina. This was a really, really weird game. There was a lot of momentum changes in this game, to use a cliche, and there was a lot of like. There were times where it felt like Carolina were totally in control. There were times where it felt like Carolina didn't have a clue what they were doing. The game was settled by Graham Gano's 63 yard field goal. It's the longest game winning field goal. It's the. Ties for the second longest field goal of all time, I believe, and is, I think, the longest field goal ever kicked, not in Denver. Uh, I think David Akers and uh, Tom Dempsey had already done that, but it's still an incredibly impressive kick for a guy whose career-long, I think, was less than 60 going into this game. The Giants looked better than we expected. Uh, I think we were kind of expecting them to really, really struggle against this Panthers defense. So, where do you think the balance in this lies? Is it the case that we saw, like you know, a better game from Eli Manning, looking a bit more composed? Is the case that we saw, you know, more production out of Odell Beckham, who had far and away his best game of the season and looked like himself, even thrown for a touchdown? Um, or is it the case that Carolina's defense just totally underwhelmed, didn't show up, and just gave up plays that we expect that defense to not give up?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's a little bit of both. Uh, the it's, it's cliche, but I think it's important to note that Carolina uh, kind of led the Giants back into this game. Um, they kind of started off strong enough and it kind of looked like it was kind of going away from the Giants up until the fourth quarter and getting Dan Cam Newton through a couple of picks that kind of uh, basically didn't make their job any easier. I think when talking about the Giants' offense, it certainly seemed that there was a change in philosophy. The first few weeks had basically seen Saquon Barkley become the identity of the offense. A lot of running from him and the basic summary of him has been some really, really amazing plays interspersed with a lot of tackles for loss, right? because that interior of that offensive line continues to be a, a major weakness. So I think this, this week, they came out and decided, all right, we're going to do something different. We're going to put OBJ back at the center of this offense, and not by throwing you know, five-yard passes every time, preferably. But I think, you know, even though they did get him in, and Odell Beckham obviously got even more involved after making all those comments last week by throwing a, a touchdown himself, the one thing you still notice was so many balls thrown by Eli, which were basically weak. They weren't on target, especially when you move beyond the intermediate zone. Um, they just were slow. They were on target. They were wobbling. And the, the simple fact of the matter is, everyone's been saying it for over a season, oh, like over two or three seasons at this point. Eli Manning is the problem with the New York Giants now. He is not a good quarterback. He does not, he cannot throw it down the field. You know, his recognition of the game has never really been that elite, to be honest. And at this point, he's holding that team back. Just in the sense that he's Eli Manning, like the way the whole Geno Smith thing went last Mm. season, and then he's brought back in OBJ now talking openly basically against him. I just think Eli Manning, he's like, I think he believes he's bigger than the team, and to a certain extent, he was vindicated last season by that. But having someone this poor, uh, who doesn't seem to want to retire, uh, continue to dominate and be the face of your franchise, it's not a recipe for success. Um, And against the Carolina defense, which is Alright, they got some luck, but I think the Carolina defense kind of screwed over by the offense in this case, uh, due to some unlucky turnovers. I think the battered defense, it's, it's where we think it is, maybe like a marginal 15-10 to 10, uh, defense in the league, uh, but Eli Manning kind of got a bit lucky. Get rid of Eli preserved preferably sooner and preferably for you know someone promising and not Gino Smith I think yeah. fans might be okay with
0: that Gino's well, gone isn't he he's not, he's not there anymore yeah. um, Chargers Chargers that's right I um, mean yeah he's very lucky that he was benched for Gino Smith because I mean if you want to be bench for somebody that's going to be sure that you're going to be the starter next week yeah, probably couldn't pick anyone better than Gino. Um, it was a weird game in some other ways. We saw some like back to back, like we saw three interceptions I think in a very short space of time during that game. Um, we saw some really weird play calling from Carolina on the final drive that necessitated uh, Gino to to kick that ridiculous field goal. We saw them again persist with the Christian McCaffrey can definitely be an inside runner phenomenon, which did not work at all. Um, so yeah, the Panthers continue to be a team that like seems to be just coached below their talent level at this stage, and it's very hard to know how a team like that is going to pan out over the rest of the season. Um, because this kind of game, this is the kind of game like you expect a good contender team to not put themselves in a position of having to hit a record-breaking field goal to win against yeah, like you said, a Giants team that still looks bad in a lot of ways.
1: Like the problem with Carolina is we don't really know what the identity on the offense or defense really is. Like. We have we haven't like I we barely talked about Carolina this season. That's because even though they're like three and one, they're just a team that they've got there, not really doing anything spectacular. The only thing about Carolina to remember is, as it's always been true, Cam Newton continues to be Cam Newton. You know, maybe being accurate, but he has so many other qualities to get around it. And you know, Christian McCaffrey, even Christian McCaffrey, been pretty boring this year um, and not in an the interesting ways. he's just been solid between the tackles and in the past game. Uh, but if they're 3-1 and, and they get more games like this, uh, that they manage to win, then you know the Panthers fans will have to be satisfied with that.
0: Yeah, they're kind of like an anti-Falcons at the moment. They're playing badly, but they're winning games as opposed to the Falcons who are playing well and losing everything. The dumpster fire. I know I said I didn't want to talk about this team anymore, and I didn't, but this game was so bad that we couldn't exclude it from the dumpster fire. Uh, Tennessee at Buffalo finished 13-12. One of these teams won. I don't even remember which one. It, the game was atrocious it was oh it was buffalo who won there you go this game happened like jesus like the teams barely combined for 200 yards passing josh allen right 10 of 19 for 82 yards in the pick his team won this game like this was trash like i've said throughout the season tennessee are just showing me nothing right now and we saw it again from the complete failure of imagination a complete failure to move the ball a quarterback who is clearly not comfortable, doesn't know who his weapons are, a running game that is essentially completely dysfunctional now between Dion Lewis and Derek Henry. Neither of them seem to be being used correctly. And on the other side, you've got a Bills team. I'm sorry, you know who Josh Allen reminds me of right now? CJ Beathard, that's what Josh Allen is playing like. Josh Allen is playing like rookie CJ Beathard in that he'd run around a bit and he'd have some very athletic looking plays and he'd make some stuff with his feet and dive in for touches. He cannot pass the fucking ball. He seems to be getting worse as the season goes on. This was a, a terrible, terrible performance for him. Shady McCoy got like a billion touches, but his his average wasn't great, didn't look spectacular. They, 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 they ran like 40 times in this game. I, I, both defences looked good I guess but it's very hard to like fully assess that when both offences just look so completely inept on their own terms and this is not a new phenomenon both of these offences have looked completely inept throughout the season somehow these teams have five wins between them do we ever want to watch either of these teams play again for the rest of the year Ronan?
1: Buffalo can be fun in the stupid nonsense like they're so they're so bad they're actually so bad they're kind of interesting to watch when they actually win games because it's usually in the most <laughs> was true here as well. Like their defense seemed to get pressure on them, uh, though was obviously nowhere near their piece of resistance against Miss Minnesota. But I think with Tennessee, whereas with Tennessee we have a team here, that kind of flatters to the see because Tennessee is far more frustrating because you know they, they have a, the guts probably of a good team. You know, they have a franchise quarterback in Mariota who should be coming on at this point, yet seems to be wilting as the year goes on. I don't know, maybe it's the injury. Maybe he had the injury earlier in the season. He's brought back too fast. They just look poor here. Um, and obviously, the weapons that they have, uh, both in the run game and the pass game, are, are underwhelming at best. The defense is really good. And obviously, we're getting a, a career year uh, from certain players on, on that defense. Um, and and like that's, you know, that's nice, I suppose. Uh, for them, but you know, ultimately, for a team which probably does have a realistic chance of making a uh, sorry, Gerald Craig Casey's the one I was to think of there. Yeah. Uh, for, for a team that could have so much potential, and obviously a new head coach um, who isn't Mike Malarkey, you're hoping for that potential to be unleashed. Uh, it's been a really annoying one. I think the worst thing about them is that like they'll have a good game that they had last week. Um, and everyone will get on the bandwagon and then they'll do another stinker like this. And I think just in terms of the frustration that comes to watching a team like that, I think it's just it's just so excessive. I think the Titans are kinda of like the Dolphins. They're one of these teams that, you know, until they put like a three or four wins on the hop together while playing actual interesting football, they deserve to be in the dumpster fire, they deserve not to be talked about otherwise. And, you know, losing to the Bills is, you know, no more than they deserve based on what they put up here.
0: Yeah, that's that's Probably fair. It's difficult to assess if I how, where either of these teams are going to get success from. I suppose there is an entertainment factor. The Bills or the Titans are just a dirge. They're, they're a difficult team to watch uh, at the moment. Although, apparently, since I was slamming him, I should also say something nice about Josh Allen. And Josh Allen is the first player to score a rushing touchdown against Tennessee this season, if you can believe that. There you go. That's your fact of the day. I
1: can, because it's the Bills. Yeah. That's, that's why I'm willing to give them a pass.
0: Nothing, nothing they do makes it's sense. Like I mean. That. This is this is it. Like I think we saw what from them. I think we saw what the game plan is going to be. I think this was it. It was like feed Shady McCoy until he gets sick and see what happens. But this is against teams that have any semblance of offense. Um, this is not going to work. Like barring that incredibly strange game against Minnesota. The, I, this this is not look promising for Buffalo and I don't see whatever the evaluators saw in, in Josh Allen I, I don't see where that's going to come from like this is both teams are averaging less than 180 passing yards a game over the first five weeks of the season that <laughs> in is in a year in which atrocious
1: they're breaking records yeah
0: I mean the worry here like long term for Tennessee is if Mariota doesn't get out of this funk I mean this is supposed to be the future of your franchise you're going to need more than that from him coming forward but the, the, the dysfunction seems to just be be universal across that. And, uh, yeah, I don't think I want to talk about either of these teams anymore. Are we okay with that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. I just hope we know Right, we've done, our, we've done our bit on the Titans for the year. Let's never discuss them again until they learn how to play football. Buffalo, I'm fairly sure, will be back in this because they keep playing in really weird, bad games. <laughs> right, so, yeah, let's move on to some questions from our listeners. Okay, so we have another question from Emmett here, which says... Um, if Mitch, is based on last week's question, is Mitch Trubisky the new face of the NFL? And obviously he was in a bye week this week, so a jury remains out on that one. But if Mitch Tiddies is the face of the NFL, is Sam Darnold its arm and poise? Um, if Mitch Trubisky is the face of the NFL, I think its poise is probably Derek Carr at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is Sam Darnold the arm? I don't know, I can see the argument. Yeah, well he finally threw the ball down the
1: field this week, so I think all the Jets fans were like, wait a second, he could throw down the field all this time? <laughs> Be doing that. It's like not like we have like that breakout player who was good at catching the ball downfield. Yeah, uh, the yeah. Jets. I don't know what was up with that, but they, 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 Sam Darnold. He kind of looked like a good quarterback. I think we're all expecting him to kind of not be an immediate like sensation. Sam Darnold experiencing the Jets is going to basically you know a few weeks of down and then like a couple of weeks of up, and this was the up week. And uh, you know if city is, is inconsistent, then. Sam Darnold will be joining him in that inconsistency ranking uh, pretty soon, I imagine.
0: again we do have to consider though that like Darnold still completed less than half of his pop passes. Like this is the Sam Darnold good week. Oh, I don't know. It does help open up a passing game when you let Isaiah Crowell run for two hundred and twenty- This was that that look. God, I don't know. I don't know what Sam Darnold is, I don't know what the jets are, but I can guarantee you that he is neither the face nor poise of the NFL unless you're being entirely sarcastic about the whole thing. Uh, I have this question that comes in from Definitely Not Connor, and it says, "How about them Chiefs? How about them Connor? Fuck you! You're going to lose next week." Yeah, they're they're pretty
1: good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's enjoying it too much. I don't I don't like. He's getting uppity. This is like this is like the Eagles fans all over again. Um, and then this question, I, this now this this question doesn't have a person. It's actually been submitted on a piece of paper with um, what I'm pretty sure are clipped out letters from newspapers uh, taped together to form a sentence. So give me a second to get my head around this one. Why is two-stage least squares, that's two SLS for those of you who know the lingo, uh, preferable to indirect least squares, known as ILS, when dealing with a system of both exactly identified and over-identified equations? Uh, Roland, <laughs> help! Yeah, I was
1: looking this up, and apparently it's related to the fact that if you have more known parameters than unknown parameters, instrumental parameters, uh, depending on the context, uh, basically there is no uh, unique solution or incorrectly squares. And in actuality, two SLS and similar SEM models uh, can be considered the averaging over all the potential ILS models for those cases. And if it just comes back, if you have a simultaneous equation uh, and there's multiple solutions for that, which is the case kind of we talked about here, what like the ILS just can't handle the fact that in certain cases, if you have enough explanatory variables, there are more than one solution to that problem, uh, whereas the ILS is just expected to be one. That's oh. why for an over identified model uh, the two-stage least squares is apparently uh, not just uh, preferred, but actually uh, pretty much uh, required. Okay,
0: okay, okay. So, firstly, so firstly, I preferred it when you just read out pump statistics. Can we go back to that? But <laughs> secondly, are you trying to sneak in like answers for Connor's exam into the podcast, like subliminally assisting?
1: Sneaking <laughs> into the podcast. And I am not this is a kind of metrics thing, not a statistics thing. Oh my that, god. Based on my exploration <laughs> of it, uh, I decided to, to see what the story was here. And it basically just seems to be that, conceptually, oh. think of time to equations with multiple solutions uh, because you have too many explanatory variables uh, versus things you have to explain um, then there's lots of
0: solutions. Well, let nobody say that this was not an educational podcast. Um, I didn't understand any of that. But if any of you ad- out there did, great, go for it. Um, best of luck, Connor. Uh, so on that thoroughly confusing <laughs> and off-topic note, uh, we'll move on to our picks for the games for next week. Okay, so first up, we have uh, the Philadelphia...
1: The- football, NFC football. Oh, let's go
0: thank god it's on Thursday night at one o'clock in the morning I don't to watch it uh, the struggling Philadelphia Eagles at the equally struggling New York Giants we have gone for Philadelphia across the board Ronan why is that
1: yeah I don't I don't we really have a read on either of these teams but the Philadelphia Eagles are generally a more fun team and a more interesting team and the Giants is going kind to of feel like a team when things don't go their way they kind of just they're, they're going to fall apart a little bit I think losing in such a fashion as they did some teams would grow from that which I think me so as one of those teams and. Like running shit as we've had now so isn't
0: a good help. He certainly is. Uh Tampa Bay at Atlanta. We've gone for Atlanta across the board. Why is that? Atlanta looked better than their record. Tampa Bay looked absolutely garbage over the last few weeks, as we suspected they were going to be at the start of the season. Uh, I think the high-powered Atlanta offense, particularly at home in the dome, is gonna throw all over uh, a pretty depleted and wobbly-looking Tampa Bay. The LA Chargers at the Cleveland Browns, I was very close on this one myself. But uh, we've gone for the Chargers across the board, running.
1: Right, yeah, like uh, the battle of teams who are really good at losing uh, <laughs> inexplicably. Uh, <laughs> like I think the Chargers' offense with Eckler and Melvin Gordon and Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and Philip Rivers, obviously, kind of having really a, a really good season. That should be enough firepower to overcome a Cleveland defense, which at times looks really dominant. But I think against the elite offenses, have looked a little bit more shaky. I think Cleveland is a good team overall The Baker Mayfield is certainly showing more on offense but I just you know I think in a close game Hugh Jackson will tend to lose on average <laughs> Yeah. even getting from last week and I think the Chargers right now uh, should have enough firepower to get the win here
0: yeah I think that's probably a fair assessment um, find out how the Browns Browns this one up uh, Indianapolis at the New York Jets we have our first disagreement uh, of the podcast um Myself and Ronan have both gone for Indianapolis, and Connor has gone for the New York Jets. He's not here to defend himself, so that's fine. Uh, I'll give it a go. I don't know. Indianapolis aren't very good. We saw some more from Robbie Anderson down the field. The run game for the Jets got going. Yeah, no. I look. I I, I think Indy, for all their struggles, realistically, have looked a better team than the Jets. Um, we kind of know what Indy can do. The Jets are incredibly inconsistent week on week. Uh, and they are the type of team that, after coming off a game with a winning formula, will fail to adapt opponent coming into them. Uh, we've seen them do it multiple times in the past, and I don't see why this is going to be any different. Um, Seattle at Oakland, we've gone for Seattle across the board. Ronan, where are your boys going to take this one? Uh, just because Oakland
1: are incredibly good at losing, and they should have lost the game that they did win. Seattle look okay. Uh, the Oakland run defense is also terrible. So, with a team like Seattle, who are basically just run offense, Uh, they should be able to grind out a win here. Probably not the most exciting game uh, to start off the London Slate.
0: Next up, we have uh, Carolina at Washington. Um, Connor and Ronan have both gone for Carolina. I've gone for Washington. This is a weird call, and I'm not going to be able to defend it very well. I just have a feeling about this one. I've said this about the Panthers a couple of times in the past, that they're just a weird flaky team, and coming off like that kind of last-minute, high-octane win... I think there's going to be flatness coming into a Washington team that are really going to need to prove now. Carolina's defense have looked extremely vulnerable this season. And when Alex Smith is given a bit of time and not put under the kind of pressure that we saw him put under by the Saints, we know he can pick apart slower defenses. And I think that that's what Carolina has. And I think on that basis, I think we're going to see Washington kind of chip away at them and, and win a pretty close game. Uh, Ronan, though, why would you disagree with that one though?
1: Like, well, you're, you're kind of going with the on-off uh, <laughs> Zungu's theory because they won loss, one loss, and now they should win. Uh, I think Carolina's overall are a more solid team. I think well, whatever you think about the team overall, I think Cam Newton is good enough generally by himself to win games. Christian McCaffrey, you know, I know we're not as, big as fans, but he has been generally effective in the offense. And the defense, yes, for its faults, is not amazing. I think should be solid enough to beat a Washington offense, which it. Looks so one-dimensional. If, I don't know what that Washington offense is doing, really.
0: Um, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I can, I can, I can see the argument. Uh, just gonna point out that Washington have actually had a better passing attack than Carolina this season, which really surprised me when I read that too. But has actually been the case. I mean, they both have like bottom ten pass attacks, but uh, apparently Washington's been slightly better. Buffalo at Houston. We've gone for Houston across the board. Don't see any more weird shenanigans happening here, Ron no
1: Oh, that's certainly good happen, but you can't, you can't take weird shenanigans. That's why they. <laughs> And,
0: I'm pretty yeah, sure he picked that for the Rams from the entirety of Jeff Fisher's last season
1: and Houston are kind of dysfunctional but Deshaun Watson seems to be kind of getting his feel again uh, and that makes them actually okay to watch again uh, since you know DeAndre Hopkins will just get a thousand yards every game um, even without I will are there at this point so yeah. Houston are, can be exciting whereas Buffalo are just weird but
0: yeah true I mean, as, long as, as long as Watson doesn't get himself murdered which he seems to be trying to do but uh, hopefully he'll survive another one Arizona at Minnesota. We've gone from Minnesota across the board. Why is that? Well, look, Minnesota's defense looks not very good, but their offense is incredibly explosive. Arizona are a gigantic pile of trash, and nothing more needs to be said here. Then we've got Ronan's pick of the week in the AFC North. Pittsburgh at Cincinnati. We've gone for Cincinnati across the board. Tell us a bit about this one, Ronan, and why you've gone for this as your pick of the week.
1: Yeah, well, obviously, we have uh, an AFC North showdown here between a Pittsburgh team coming off uh, a really important, you know... uh, Reset the tables. Win against Atlanta versus a high-flying Cincinnati team coming off a victory against uh, Miami, bringing them to four and one. Um, so Cincinnati have a pretty good lead in that division, and obviously, traditionally, Cincinnati uh, almost with almost no exception tend to be uh, the bitch of Pittsburgh on, on, on average. Like they've had good teams and not managed to win that division in the past. Uh, but at the moment, the power, the balance of power seems to go with Cincinnati just because they're they're kind of one of these teams where there's nothing really amazing with them to get to that four-win mark. They've just been good and solid throughout them. I think we have a bit more faith in them just because we've seen in the past that you know Marvin Jones is capable of creating solid teams that lose in the first round of the playoffs, uh, which requires you to win enough games to get to the first round of the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Pittsburgh, on the other hand, obviously all of the drama that's surrounded them now, and now Mike Tomlin come out against uh, the passive. Like The defense seems to be heating up. Like They kept an, an explosive Atlanta offense um, to you know, a fairly low score, and T.J. Watt is having a great season. But I, I kind of feel like Cincinnati, they're kind of a slice-and-dice defense rather than an explosive defense, offense like uh, Atlanta. I think they should have enough there with the rejuvenated Joe Mixon uh, to eat them up a bit up front and uh, get the job done like it wouldn't surprise me for Pittsburgh to kind of turn around and suddenly reassert their uh, like their AAC North Dominance like the New England Patriots did uh, uh, last week but hopefully I think it would be nice to see Cincinnati build on this and actually show that they have something solid here because I think you know they deserve a little bit of love and Pittsburgh are just such a mess right now I don't really want to see them too much
0: yeah uh, fair Uh, can't can't disagree with anything you said about on that I think that's such a, a reasonable assessment on that one Um, Chicago at Miami we've gone for Chicago across the board why is that Miami after flattering to deceive earlier in the season have shown that they are who we thought they are i.e. a big pile of trash Um, that game with the Patriots seems to have just absolutely broken them (laughs) we saw them uh, absolutely shit the bed against Cincinnati this team looks bad Chicago yes the offense is still uh, really unreliable but that defense is just terrifyingly good right now like the difference Khalil Mack has made in Taking what is like a average at best defense and making it like elite has been stunning. I, I just think Miami are in for a really, really rough time in this game. The Rams at the Broncos have gone for the Rams across the board. Not particularly surprising, but Roland, do you want to tell us why?
1: Yeah, the Rams are probably, you know, the best team in football right now. Um, even the, despite their defensive frailties. Um, and I think even if Brandon Cooks and Cooper Cup were both out due to her concussion issues, I would still give the Rams the favourite player. Like Sean McKay, Wade Phillips, that's just a great coaching ticket. They have so much talent all across the board. And Denver just look kind of bad right now. Uh, their only real good thing is Philip Lindsay, and, and even that shouldn't be enough to really give them. It. But it is, it is in mile high, so I wouldn't describe them completely if Ella Rams were with injuries. But it's hard to pick against them right
0: now fair point Uh, next up we have Baltimore at Tennessee Connor has picked Tennessee apparently didn't watch last week's game Um, we picked Baltimore look this is probably going to be another ugly game because this is the kind of game these teams are we saw against Baltimore was an aberration it was really the first game of the season where they looked lost and I think I'm willing to put a lot of credit on that to an extremely good Cleveland Browns defense that came out and smothered them and gave them a chance to win the game there were a lot of Issues in the communication between Flacco and the receivers The run game looked a bit all over the place They probably should have won, let's be honest They probably should have won, but they didn't uh, Tennessee looked garbage again um, I find it very difficult to think that this team will have the wherewithal To uh, basically hang with the Ravens on, on this kind of level So I think in what's going to be a, an ugly game and I, think, I think Connor's picking against Baltimore because he hates Justin Tucker I'm not sure what other possible logic he could be applied to this I think you've really got to pick Baltimore here Next up, Jacksonville at the Dallas Cowboys. Speaking of games that have the potential to be incredibly boring. Um, we've gone for Jacksonville across the board. Ronald?
1: Dallas have had a decent defense, but their offense is absolutely trash right now. Jacksonville are kind of basically like that, but better. But uh, <laughs> well, I think like, you have to be worried in Jacksonville after a couple of performances that were really bad. Uh, but I just kind of feel like Jacksonville, with all that talent from the defense, are likely to get enough turnovers and just make press Prescott's life hell enough that they'll they scratch this one out.
0: Yep, also this is uh, this is good week Jags this week, right?
1: Uh, I believe so.
0: Yeah, grand. Happy to go with that so. Uh then we have Casey at New England. Uh this is Connor's game of the week, but he's not here, so I'm gonna steal it and now it's my game of the week. Two calls for Kansas City from Connor, unsurprisingly, and from Ronan, and I've gone for New England. I this is gonna be a really, really interesting game because we said this about Kansas City last week against Jacksonville, being like, okay, let's see what happens when Kansas City run up against like a really good team, and Jacksonville proceeded to like Blake Bortles just just gave the ball away for fun, so we never really found out what happened because Jacksonville's offense was so unbelievably putrid in that game that it doesn't matter that Kansas City have the worst defense in the league because they kept turning it over. This game, to me now, feels like this could be it. This is going to be a really, really interesting game. This is going to be a real test. Of like We know KCR are for real, right? But we don't know how good they are. We know they're good, but we don't know how good. If they can beat a New England team that's found its feet over the last two weeks, then, yes, 100%, we are dealing with an elite team in the NFL. If they lose this game, we're dealing with a team that's pretty good and a threat to everybody, but isn't necessarily going to be an unstoppable powerhouse, which it has looked like pretty much consistently barring uh, sections of the Denver game, which they still managed to come back and overwhelm the Broncos at the end of anyway. What we've seen from New England over the last few weeks makes me lean towards giving the home team the edge here in spite of the fact that Kansas City have actually got a really good recent history of going to Foxborough and beating the Patriots, but let's, let's leave that aside for the time being. We're a bit further into the season than we have been in the past. I think there's a better idea of how Kansas City play and what they do. Um, Denver had them figured out for good chunks of the game. Jacksonville would have if they'd been able to stop turning the ball over, given them a much, much closer game. New England have got hot over the last few weeks. We've seen the defense look a little bit more functional, uh, and more importantly, we've seen the offense look a lot more functional. This is a New England offense that, based on what we've seen over the last two weeks, is probably going to be able to keep up with Kansas City in a way that teams like Denver and Jacksonville aren't necessarily capable of doing. We've seen Josh Gordon kind of earn the trust of Tom Brady. We've seen the return of Julian Edelman, which opens up a huge amount of stuff underneath. We've seen Sony Michel get more and more comfortable with each passing week and look like a legitimate threat with the ball in his hands as a between-the-tackles runner. We've seen James White, uh, find ways to get himself into space, integrate himself really well into the passing game. On the other side of the ball we
1: Patterson, man! Don't forget Cordell Patterson!
0: Yeah, I don't want to talk about Cordell Patterson, that's weird, I still don't understand it. On the other side of the ball, what we've seen from New England is we've seen, we saw much better pressure over the last couple of weeks. We saw a, a defensive backfield that looks a lot more organised, there's a lot less confusion. Yes, there's still problems with the linebackers that are very much there, but we've seen, as we always see with New England, uh, them kind of work into filling the gaps and playing around their, playing around their weaknesses. This KC defense, despite what happened against Jacksonville, is still not good, right? They still really struggle to stop the run. Um, they the, the throws where Bortles turned it over were like, they were bad throws, right? And I know Brady has had a number of interceptions this season, but some of them have been quite unlucky. I don't think New England are going to give Kansas City's defense the same level of opportunity and play with the same level of carelessness and lack of concern for clock control and ball control that we saw from Jacksonville in the last game. I think New England are a smart enough and well-coached enough team that they're going to make life difficult for Kansas City's defense in ways that it hasn't really been tested yet this season. And in that kind of situation, I'm going to always going to go. Maybe I may end up being wrong. There's a, tra- there's a good chance Kansas City wins this game, but I think you'll have to be favored here. Because in that kind of situation, this is where you have to favor Bill Belichick, where New England have started getting into that time of the year where they start to get a little bit hot, where they start to get a rhythm, start to figure out what's working, or getting a few pieces back. I think that's why I would favor uh, I'd favor New England here. But I can definitely see the argument for Kansas City. I can see, you know, the this is a defense isn't good, but it's opportunistic, as we saw against the Jaguars. We know that like D Ford's having a great season, and Mahomes is just hot. Like the guy is just on fire, can people keep up with Tyreek Hill? They have so many he's like so options, right can, he is, except that he's just oh my god. <laughs> but, um, I would say, yeah, like whether or not New like England ha-
1: does seem to be slowing versus the early season pace. Um, so you'd wonder, similar to last season, is the offense getting figured out to some yeah. extent? I think it's just a certain, it's just a case that also, even if they get figured out, Mahomes but you're be- so much a better quarterback than Alex Smith. But they might be able to not quite go into the tailspin that they managed to do mid-season last season.
0: Yeah, and no, I don't think the tailspin is, or doesn't look like it's on the cards, but I think that's that's it. And I think that, you know, I think if you're going to pick a team to figure it out, you, you, you'd generally favor Belichick under those circumstances. Or I, I would, anyway. Obviously, you guys you guys don't. And that's fine. Um, so, then the final game, Monday Night Football. Uh, San Francisco 49ers, oh God, what's left of the San Francisco 49ers got to play, well, what's left of the Green Bay Packers. Um, we've gone for Green Bay across the board on this one. Ronan?
1: Yeah, I think Aaron Rodgers seems to be getting healthy again. Uh, if it weren't for Mason Crosby, they probably would have won that game against Detroit. Yep. Uh, the defense is starting to have some kind of identity, and San Francisco are just down so many starters, including probably Matt Breida, at least this week, um, that you know they don't expect him to go. Like Masters and, and Morris isn't really enough to allow um, DJ Beathard to throw the ball to George Kittle all.
0: I don't know. George Kittle's gonna have like eight thousand yards. the like.
1: San Francisco offense. I think if, you, if if a team loses to the Cardinals, I don't expect them to be able to re- be Green Bay the next week.
0: Yeah, fair. Losing to the Cardinals the is a pretty rules. pretty big. Yeah, that was that was very bad. Um, Grant, so that I think is everything taken care of. Well, sure. We won't again. We won't bore you with details of our personal lives. That's Connor's job. Uh, we'll just love you and leave you. Say thanks very much for listening. This has been all Four Quarters podcast. So it's goodbye from me. Bye for me. Yeah, I definitely did that outro in the wrong order. Don't care, I'm tired. My tongue feels like it's going to fall out, man. Um, So thanks very much for listening, guys. Hit us up on social media. Keep sending us really weird maths problems, Connor. Do your fucking homework, Connor. Study for your exams. Stop sending weird questions to the podcast. And we'll see you next week.